Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage, and practice self-care, and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power, and this allows us to impact, serve, and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, On Your Life. And today we're speaking with Katie Edwards. Katie and I have been in a number of different programs together, and I am so grateful to have her on this podcast to share her story with you. So today is all about being the hero of your own story. Katie is a mindset and identity coach. She comes from a decade in the finance industry after a series of events, including addiction and bankruptcy. She decided to take radical responsibility for her choices and start living the life she wanted now instead of waiting for when. Today, she owns two successful businesses and is passionate about helping women uncover their deep money desires and create a roadmap to achieve their dreams. Katie is passionate about helping women fall in love with who they are and transcend their fear of showing up so that they can live a life of service, impact, and fulfillment. This is an incredibly vulnerable episode. I am so proud of Katie for all the things that she shares here, and I know you're going to find tools, nuggets, and support and see yourself in her story and realize that you can change your story at any time. You're going to love the show. Welcome to the show today, Katie. I'm so thrilled to finally have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's we uh, like I was saying before, we keep showing up in the same spaces together. So I, a conversation has been long due, I think. <laughs> we do. And this is where we'll get into this story, but it's interesting how you have to pay attention to sometimes the nudges and the people who keep crossing your path. And we've actually kind of come into each other's space in a couple different programs recently. So this is where it's like, okay, let's do a podcast. Where are you from? I am from a little town outside of Boise, Idaho. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I had to drive 45 minutes to get anything (laughs) essentially. (laughs) Nice small town. What's the weather in Idaho right now? Um, you know, I think that with the storm that's coming, it's, they have some snow, not like where I am now. I'm in Jackson, Wyoming, and I, my family sent me pictures of the snow and I said, oh, we call that October here. So, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, but you do see the sun more and, you know, Boise's amazing. It's growing a lot. The arts are really big there. Um, I'm a foodie, so they have... Mm amazing restaurants. So it was, it was a really good, safe place to grow up. I would say for sure. Awesome. I've never been there. I'm just, we're in Canada in Ontario and we're in yet another snow day and schools closed. And so it's just been so interesting. We just came out of lockdown a week ago and these poor parents have had two snow days in a week and they're like, please let the kids get back to school. And yet we're back to another snow day. So (laughs) you could see the light at the end of the tunnel (laughs) and then the tunnel closed. Oh no. (laughs) 
I know. Do you have a book that you've read that has had some impact on you? Oh my goodness. I love that question. I would say, you know, I just recently read The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Mm -hmm. And I actually, one of my mentors is having me read it again because, you know, the whole premise of the book is, you know, we tend to upper limit ourselves. Mm -hmm. And once you overcome that, there's always a new upper limit. So she was like, let's, let's, let's find out where you're at now. Let's reread the book. And so I would say that's a huge one. I think another one um, is by Byron Katie. Um, Lo- uh, loving is what is called loving, loving what, is. what is. Yeah, I just have loving to look at my is. bookshelf. I, I I was a she she has a, a few. She has I think the four questions, but but essentially, I have suffered from extreme anxiety since I was eight years old, and so really questioning the beliefs in my head and not believing that they're the end all be all has been transformative for me. Mm -hmm. And I love the way she talks. It's like almost like this mom or this grandma, like with the love and the compassion. So I would say those two books have, have really changed my internal thought process, um, which in turn has really helped everything going on externally. What a great comment. And part of what um, we'll get into is you and I have connected through two different coaching groups and one being our NLP certification and our internal thoughts are everything and what we think and the words we're saying and all of that is just everything, right? You can do, you can prove all of the transformation and changes that you have, but if you don't believe them and you don't see them, then it doesn't matter what you're achieving. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially like we're sticking ourselves in a prison Mm -hmm. and not realizing that the prison only has three walls. We just need to turn around or get some perspective or, or whatever it is. And so one thing that I love about that book is she, she makes you like step 20, 20 feet back and go, okay, what am I believing? And I think like, we'll dive into my story a little bit. And I think we have so many similarities, but realizing that the story that you're telling yourself doesn't have to be the story, Mm. you know, and that, and that the prison that you have created for yourself is just that. I think we tend to get into victimhood and, oh, this happened to me. And really we're just stuck in our own prison and all we have to do is turn around and, and, and get out, you know? Oh my God. The three walls analogy just hit me. Like, I just love how you said that. I love how you said that. I like to refer to it sometimes that we have shackles that we put on, but we don't realize we are the ones that are putting the shackles on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have the key. Yeah. We have the key. We totally have the key. We're sitting around looking for someone to give us the key, but it's like, we have the key. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I'm going to go right from there and dive into your story because I think it fits really well is talk to us about the three walls and prisons that you have gone through yourself that you've experienced and take it back to wherever you want to. But I I do want to also say, thank you for being honest with this. I know you're a vulnerable person and you're going to impact so many people with this episode. Absolutely. You talked about extreme anxiety from eight years old. What does that look like from eight years old? Let's start there. You know, I, it, I did not understand why it started, but looking back, that was the same year that my mom had a really hard 
um, pregnancy with my youngest brother and they actually, um, she almost lost him and it ended up being really dangerous for her. And I think it was the first time in my, in my little life where I had this realization that I could lose someone close to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, I mean, it would always happen at night and I would always just get this panic feeling and, um, you know, it was, oh gosh, I don't know how old I was, 1996, you know, there wasn't a lot of talk about anxiety. No. And so my parents had no idea what to do with it. It was always just kind of like, well, go back to bed, try to, try to sleep. And, you know, I, I would, they would be debilitating. Like I would just shake and shake and shake. Mm. And then they got progressively worse through high school. And then in college, I actually had to go to the hospital a couple of times just because I could not calm myself down. And, um, and it was really hard because I was surrounded by people who didn't have anxiety. And so they could not understand like why I couldn't like get control of my brain or just mm -hmm. think a different thought. And so, um, I think it's, you know, I don't like to think of it as a disability. I like to think of it almost as as a challenge and also a gift because I think it gives me perspective. Um, like everyone has anxiety about different things, but mine is always around losing someone. And so turning that around and going, wow, life is really precious. I'm going to be in this moment with these people and, and enjoy it and, and love them. So, um, and, and, later on, you know, in my, in my story, I started drinking to try to curb the anxiety, which works for a little bit. And then it's like <laughs> anxiety on doesn't. steroids, right? Yeah. Those, those hangovers were, oh my goodness, I remember hyperventilating a lot. And so, you know, it's been interesting looking at my story and realizing the times that I accepted my anxiety um, and had compassion for myself, those tend to be the times that my anxiety tends to get better hmm. versus fighting it and fighting it. And what band-aid can I put on this? And, you know, distraction, scrolling, um, never really actually helps. So um, hmm. I would say, yeah, and it started at a really young age for me. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that because I do know, and we hear that even now, especially in this time where I've had a number of clients whose kids are going through some pretty severe anxiety. If you think about it, like as adults, we're able to get on zoom and see other people. Kids have not mm -hmm. necessarily like this has been in, in, in our area, there's been such a lockdown and so much isolation. We're almost coming up into a year. And for some kids, <clears throat> that's a really that's a really challenging thing because also you're taking away their social circles. Now, I also have other clients whose kids are thriving now because they're not in the mm. environment of school that wasn't going well for them. So it's, it is different for everybody, but recognizing that, yeah, that's definitely a factor in how that, how we handle that anxiety, how we label it, what we, what we call it. And I appreciate you talking about that because I know that you're not alone in that. There's no way. And it's hard as a parent, you know, I have a 12 year old stepdaughter and neither of her parents biologically deal with anxiety, but she does. And <clears throat> she's an extrovert and shutdown has been really hard for her. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, they have access to social media 
that we didn't growing up. And so she has all these things coming in. And so, you know, I feel like it was really divine that God put me in her life because um, I understand it and I don't try to fix it. You, you don't, you can't fix anxiety. You don't try to fix it. And so it's been really good for me to be able to sit with her in it mm-hmm. and create space for the anxiety. And instead of making it bigger by trying to fix it, you know, we sit there and, and we use the tools I've learned, like, um, okay, let's, let's breathe like this. And okay, what do you hear? What do you smell? What do you feel right now? And really like ground her back into the present moment. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about things she's looking forward to and things she's excited about. And so I think having those tools are, is so important as a parent, um, because the worst thing you can do is try to fix it or, Oh, it will be okay. Or, you know, you know, whatever it is, or, or even, um, like one thing I've seen is like buying them something like here's a gift. Hopefully this makes you happy, you know, and it only works for so long. Right. And so I want to give her tools she can use for the rest of her life when I'm not there. And so I think there are so many resources available to parents in today's day and age that can give them concrete tools to help their kids and help their kids not just rely on a parent when they have anxiety, but realize that as a kid, like you can be the hero of your own story. You can calm yourself down. You can ground yourself. Like what an amazing gift to give to them. Oh, there's so much in what you just said that I think is beautiful. And the fact that we don't need to fix, manage, control everyone. We don't. And learning to help them see that they have the solution that they can, they can find those solutions in themselves, not resisting it, embracing who they are, realizing that's part of them and their story. I absolutely love all of that. Um, being the hero of your story. That's so interesting. You say that because I see you as being a hero in your own story. Does that resonate? It does. It does. Because, you know, as I say this to my clients a lot, you can look for another self-help book, you can look for another course, whatever it is. And this kind of goes back to that jail analogy. But until you realize that you're the one holding the key, Mm -hmm. it's just another book. It's just another course. Nothing is going to change. And we do have that ability to stand on our own two feet and say, enough is enough. And take radical responsibility for everything that's happened. And once you do that, before you do that, you can't really change anything because everything's happening to you, right? Everything's out of your control. But once you take that radical responsibility for yourself, the world is yours. You can do anything. You can overcome anything. You can get through anything. Um, it, It truly is setting yourself free. And once you take that power, no one can take it away from you again, you know? So I think when we talk about being the hero of our own story, it's owning that innate power we have and that we're the only, this is our life, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't anyone else's life. This is my life. So what am I going to make of it? You know, what am I going to take accountability for and what am I going to do about it? And um, it took a lot of rock bottoms for me to get to that place. 
Okay. So that there, again, you are just dropping like gold, gold, gold. Absolutely love it. (laughs) I absolutely love it. And that innate power, I think is something that we learn. There is, there's this belief that, which I think is interesting because I've had many people say it to me. You have to let your kids hit the rock bottom and then it's, then it's fixes. Well, first off, everybody's rock bottom is different. And whereas like many times as I watched, um, my kids at one, many times in life, it'd be like, okay, my rock bottom would have been like two years before this. So Mm -hmm. everybody without judgment, it's just, we all have different rock bottoms. So can you talk a little bit about what rock bottom means to you? And maybe a moment where you went through and said, no, I'm not going to go this way anymore. Yeah, I have, I actually, my rock bottom story is pretty incredible. So um, and you would think it, you, looking back, I'm like, oh, there were a lot of things that would have been fine. Been if I would have just been like, okay, this is rock bottom. Yeah, <laughs> like no, we don't have to get, right? we don't have to keep going. Nope. <laughs> um, but you know, I was, I was in my first marriage for seven years and, um, really felt unloved and, um, in that found some really unhealthy coping mechanisms, um, one of them was drinking. One of them was emotional spending. And, you know, I have 10 years in the finance industry and I had all the head knowledge, but it was not, it was not sinking in because I was using money as a coping strategy. And so the guilt and the shame of knowing what I should be doing and doing the opposite. And then, you know, finding, you know, that one drink wasn't enough. And I just kept drinking more and more and more. Um, you know, fast forward five years later, I am, I'm a, um, financial planner to, um, wealthy people. Um, and I have this dirty little secret. I'm going through bankruptcy and living paycheck to paycheck because I know all the information, but I'm doing something completely different. Um, I am going through toxic boyfriend after toxic relationship after just, you know, essentially punishing myself and using it as a form of self mutilation and and drinking so much. I drink over half a gallon of hard liquor a day at one point um, and was in the hospital multiple times for alcohol poisoning. And um, there was, there was an investment test I had to take and I was like, okay, I have to get sober because my brain cannot do this. And so I stayed sober for a month and a half. I failed the test by like four questions and I drove right to a bar and drank again because I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, and so um, essentially I, I pretty much drank myself to death. My body couldn't handle the amount of alcohol once I'd taken a break and I was at a business trip in Kentucky of all places. And I had a presentation the next day that was essentially if, if, if I killed this presentation, it was really going to do big things for my career. And I couldn't get out of bed. And at first I thought it was anxiety, um, but it was alcohol poisoning and it felt different than all the other times. And I was essentially throwing up vodka and drinking it at the same time to keep enough alcohol in my system, not to go into shock. And it's amazing because my, the person I was um, at the conference with staying with me, she came in and I said, I have to tell you something. And I told her, and she goes, Oh, my sister was a heroin addict. 
um, let me help you. And I was, and I just, you know, this scary, dirty secret, I was afraid to tell anyone. So anyways, we got me to the hospital. And when I was at the hospital, I was 30. I actually had a stroke and a seizure. I couldn't talk for 10 minutes. Um, I was in the hospital for five days in and out of consciousness. And my sweet, my mom actually flew into Kentucky. Um, she wheelchaired me through the airport because I was too weak to walk. And I said, you know, before I went to the hospital, I, I, I got on my knees and I was like, this is it. God, I know I went too far this time. I can feel myself dying right now. Um, and I said, I'm ready. Like I'm, I, I'm done. I'm ready. Um, just take me now essentially. And I said, but if you decide to save me, I will do whatever it takes to stay sober and help other people. And so I told my, my mom, I wanted to go right to rehab. I knew I had a one chance left. I've had multiple doctors tell me if I drink again, my heart would stop essentially. And so I gave myself this 28 day gift with no cell phones, no outside contact. And, and I got to rebuild my life from the ground up. And, you know, for people who are afraid of that thing that they know they need to do that, that thing, but what if I lose it, but what will I do without it? You know, that, that first few weeks of rehab were some of the happiest internal moments I've ever had because I lost everything. I had, I, I didn't have a place. I didn't have, my car was getting repoed. I'd lost all my friends. Um, I'd burned relationships with my siblings. I had nothing left. Mm -hmm. And for me to have the realization that I was still worthy of living still brings me to tears to this day to find out that I was inherently worthy, even after I lost it all. It was one of the happiest internal moments of my life, knowing that nothing could take away my value. Nothing I did could change my worthiness. There is no scale. There is no grade. You just are worthy. And, um, and that was my rock bottom in asking for help and, 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 and letting everything crumble so I could build it back again changed my whole life. Wow. I'm just like, I'm just so proud of you for sharing the way that you are. I love it when people are real about their story, because I think you give others hope, faith, permission to see what is possible. So first off, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the way that you were sharing. Honestly, it's crazy powerful. When you go through this space of rebuilding, like hitting that level of bottom. And I can also share that the number of people that I've interviewed on the show, when they are at a point, they're at that rock bottom point. A lot of them say that they look and say, okay, God, if you keep me, I will do something with this. I will pay it forward. I will help others. I will. So many of them say that because they just hit a point. And I think it's interesting because that seems to be a turning point where we see outside of ourselves and we see mm -hmm. not that we're selfish inherently. I'm just saying we see outside of ourselves and go, maybe this is for something else. Maybe this is serving a different purpose. Maybe I'm supposed to do something with this. And it just starts to change our thinking off of ourselves to see what else is possible and who we can help. And I think it'd be a very beautiful thing if more of us can do that. I really do. Yeah. And that moment of realizing that something is bigger than you and that you're getting 
<clears throat> almost used is incredibly powerful and humbling that, oh, you know, like I deserve, I knew, I, I truly believed I deserved an alcoholic's death. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for God to have different plans for me, I knew something bigger than what I could imagine for myself was in store. And that has, you know, early sobriety is, is so hard, is so hard. And then add on <laughs> a bankruptcy, you know, I, you know, I didn't have anywhere. I actually, my, my lease was up the day after I got out of rehab, of you know, there, it was all, there was just so much going on and it is so important in those uncomfortable moments to not only be okay with being uncomfortable, but also not lose sight of the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And I told you, you know, when we first started chatting before we hit record a lot of what I've gone through, I've gotten through because I've told myself this will help someone someday. Someone needs to, someone needs me to get through this so that I can help them get through this too. Yeah. And I, and I feel that responsibility. Um, I feel the necessity, everything I go through, I know I, I have to go through it. I have to come out on the other side so I can help someone else do the same. A hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. I'm so proud of you. Seriously. So proud of you. If you could share with people who are listening, do you have like one, two, three tips of what you could do for that point, the, the things you had to put into place in order to create change? And we know repeated change over and over. Do you have a couple of things or tips that you could share that helped you a lot, especially in that early stage? Mm hmm Absolutely. I would say the number one thing for me was that I had to change my idea of success and my idea of happiness. Because when you've lost everything or you have, you know, $20,000 in credit card debt, or you and your spouse seem to be drifting farther and farther apart, the worst thing you can do is hold yourself to a standard that doesn't even match the reality that you're living in currently. And so I think it's so important to get really clear on what you can do today to feel successful, what you can feel, um, what you can do today to feel happy, like you're making progress. Because if your goal is a hundred and you're at zero, you're going to be stuck at zero forever. But if you know that you can do something today, just something, and I know a lot of people even right now are suffering with depression, you know, don't make, don't make small of those little things that you can do. Like don't, don't berate yourself for not being able to do more because those small things add up and they build momentum. And over time, they create massive change in your life. And so I would say the number one thing is really get clear on how you are measuring success for yourself. And if it is a realistic standard for yourself, um, I would say the second thing is um, really 
being honest with yourself about where things are coming from. So for example, with emotional spending, you can tell yourself, oh, I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm not going to do that tonight. And it's almost like an addict where it's like, oh, I relapsed on Amazon tonight. <laughs> like <laughs> it, it was awful, but, but you're going to keep doing those things. If you don't change your mindset from resolutions to internal work, you have to do the internal work to be the person that would do the things that will get you to where you want to go. I think that is so, so crucial. We tend to um, almost like play dress up with our lives. And, oh, if I, if I do this, if I put this on, this will change. This will, how many times I remember have I, you know, got new makeup or, um, or, you know, driven a different route to get myself to feel differently. And we're so afraid of the internal work, but that is where the change occurs. And for someone to tell me that, you know, two and a half, three years ago, I was bankrupt and now I have, you know, six figure businesses, you know, that doesn't happen by just keeping to resolutions. You know, yes, habits and routines are so important, but we have to do the internal work at an identity level to change who we are so that we start making decisions that that line up with that. Um, and then the third thing is ask for help. I wish that I would have asked for help and gotten support so much sooner than I did. And a huge part of my life now is asking for help, um, not being afraid to be the beginner in a room, not being afraid to start over, knowing I can start over anytime and I'll be okay because I have the tools I need to be successful. So I would say those things really um, have kept me on course and also just really given me hope you know, that, that I, that I can, that I don't have to be the same person. I can change. I can, I can be whoever I want to be and I can, I can get the help. There's unlimited abundant resources to all of us. And so, um, those are the things that have really kept me going on this, on this new path. There's so much in what you just said. Thank you for being so real and sharing that because I think that again, back to being honest and sharing that, it just helps people to see that it's not a quick fix and the change is done instantly. It's doing those do's on a daily basis and seeing. And I I believe as I somebody I've, I've watched addiction in our family very, very closely. If you don't get to the root of what, where that addiction is coming from, it just shows up in a different form. It just shows up in a different way. And it's really getting to what is that coming from? How do I address that? And without shame, like it's not a shame place. It's just knowing like, what's the root of it so that I can actually create change in my life. Mm -hmm. So you've gone from like going from bankruptcy and, and addiction and coming through rehab and building a six-figure business. And I just, I find it so incredibly inspiring. And I know others will too, as they listen to this. So now do you find that as you are in the um, business of financial stability, helping people with their financial planning, you just have a completely different perspective about it now compared to before? 
Yes, I, I, I would say definitely. And, you know, one thing I've realized is how black and white the financial world is, you know, inputs and outputs. And, you know, there are so many financial courses you can learn from um, and, and, and really good financial courses. What we don't talk about, though, I think it all is so very cold and very masculine and very, well, just do this, do this and you'll be fine. Um, and, and, and what I have felt a passion for is creating a space in the financial industry for the things we don't talk about, for the shame of emotional spending, for, um, you know, arguments over, you know, finances with a significant other, um, fear of bankruptcy, feeling like you're going to be stuck living paycheck to paycheck forever. If you went to a bank or to an advisor and said any of those things, they would be like, well, just, you know, do better. <laughs> and we, we tend to think our financial success is contingent on, um, you know, saving, retiring, all these things. When really the things I just talked about, those are the things that make or break your budget. Those are the things that keep you from being wealthy. Those are the things that keep you from creating a legacy. And so why are we not talking about them more? Why are we not creating a space where we can work through these problems together? Because that, it doesn't matter if you have, you know, a thousand dollars you're putting into savings every month, if you and your spouse are miserable, you yeah. know, at some point that's not going to matter. And I know so many people who have um, used a program like Dave Ramsey and have not spent any money. And they get to retirement and they have this money to go on vacation and their kids don't want to go with them mm -hmm. because they didn't invest in their kids while they were growing up. They didn't, they were so tight with their money that their kids, they didn't have, they have nothing to base that relationship relationship on now. So, you know, I think that there are so many important, powerful lessons we can learn from the finance industry, but there's this whole side of it that is missing. and. I want to bring that to the table and create space for women to navigate those things that really do impact your finances in a powerful way. Mm -hmm. There's, it's absolutely incredible. I love what you just said. Absolutely love what you said. So if we're going to talk about the finance and let's just talk women for a second in the, in business, whether it's coaching, whatever that looks like. What is one or two things you could say to help someone address their limiting beliefs around finances or what they can make, what they can create? Any suggestions you have for people? Yeah, two come to mind. The first is gratitude. And I actually have a really good example of this. So one of my first coaches told me that um, money is a relationship just like any other relationship. And she said, so how do you, if, let's say money was a person, how do you talk to it? And after we were done, she was like, would you want to be friends with you? <laughs> and I was like, no, I guess I'm kind of one of those. Okay. I need you. Like, where are you? Okay. I've got you. Like you can leave now, you know? And so we really, we really talked about that. Like, how do you treat money? Like how, 
um, do you express that relationship and are you grateful for it? And so I would say the number one thing is gratitude. Um, she taught me this exercise where she keeps a um, sticky note on her dishwasher. And anytime she gets any extra money, she was not expecting that month. She writes it on there and gives thanks for it. And I kind of forgotten about this. And I actually did it in the month of January. And we had maybe a couple, a few thousand extra dollars come in. You know, we oh had gosh. someone give a Christmas bonus we weren't expecting. Um, and what happens is you go from victimhood and self-pity to problem-solving mode. Mm. And, you know, for example, I was like, oh, I forgot that there were some things on Amazon that never came. I'm going to call them and get a refund. Well, that was $500. So you go to, you go to this place of problem-solving and being grateful for every single penny you have. Mm-hmm. And essentially you're signaling to the universe that you're a good steward of the money that you have been given. And it's, and it's a good thing for you to have more because you're going to continue doing good things with it. So I would challenge anyone to, to do the dishwasher challenge um, and, and see what comes of it. Um, and, and oftentimes the perspective shift is where the magic happens because you see this extra money coming in. That before you would have just, oh, whatever, it's $20. Well, $20 is $20. Mm-hmm. You know, if you invest $20 for 10 years, you're going to have a lot of money. And so it depends on the attitude you have around your money. So I would say gratitude is the number one thing. The second thing that I think has absolutely changed my life is realizing that wealthy means something different for everybody right? Your number could be completely different than someone else's. And one thing I joke about with my clients is I'm never going to tell you to stop getting your Starbucks. (laughs) We're never going to do a Starbucks diet because if that's what makes you feel special, Mm -hmm. what people don't realize is that's, that's a feeling of wealth. That's Mm -hmm. a feeling of prosperity. That's a feeling of happiness. And so we're going to budget your Starbucks in. Now, if you don't care about Starbucks and you're wasting money and you could have coffee at home, that's fine. But what you need to realize is that wealth means something different for everyone and stop looking at everyone else's version of wealth and create your own. Mm -hmm. Because once you do that, you can do things to feel wealthy today. You know, if it's that Starbucks that makes you feel special, that that's a feeling of wealth. That's a feeling of prosperity. Um, And so I think when you put, you put the blinders on and figure out what wealth means to you, um, you can start having those feelings. Now you don't have to wait till retirement. You don't have to wait till the vacation and what a better way to live, to stop waiting till the well, when, or if then um, right now you can have happiness. I love that. I love that you take that approach financially because I've always kind of resisted a little bit when I hear, I, I, I totally understand the budget. I respect that, but it's a case sometimes that it's when you squeeze every penny and you don't, like, I remember a story where I had a friend of mine. Um, she said, what do you mean you're having shrimp for dinner? And I'm like, what, what do you mean shrimp? She goes, was it on sale? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> bought it and I wasn't even thinking of it. She goes, we would never buy that if it wasn't on sale. And I was like, it's food. Like I don't, but it's just a value for me. I mean, we spend a lot of money on our food, but we don't throw hardly anything out and we always eat it. And it's just a different perspective, but it was just such a mindset of like, oh, okay. I didn't, I never thought of it that way, but that's how she had mentioned it. 
The other thing is, is I was introduced this probably, I'm going to say about six or seven years. And now I use it with my clients just to change, because I believe all about changing our stories is a money story. I was writing a letter to money mm-hmm. and I did this. And I remember thinking, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but sure, I'll try it. And I remember sitting down to write it. And before I knew it, writing it as though money were a person or an entity of its own, which it is, I it was a case of like, oh my God, I'm so sorry for how I treated you. I'm sorry that I didn't value you. I'm sorry that I wouldn't, I mean, why would it come back? Because I wasn't treating it with respect and changing that money story. So even if you do open up your bank account and there's a hundred dollars in there, don't look at the hundred dollars. Look at all the things you were able to pay for that you were able to cover because our accounts are moving targets at all times, right? Like it's, you can look at it at one point and might have X amount, but then you pay for everything. And now I have a hundred. So it's a weird, it's a weird thing, but learning to see money as a way of inviting it in, as opposed to a lack that there's never enough. It's a value. Yes. I love that. And people look at me like I have drink the Kool-Aid when I'm like, budgeting is fun. But if I were to tell you, here's a thousand dollars, I want you to just um, let me know, write down how you're going to spend it. You'd be like, you're giving me a thousand dollars and I have to write down how I'm going to spend it no problem. Mm -hmm. That's what a budget is. When you stop thinking of it as this thing that you have to do to make sure everything's going to meet and you see it as a, this is, this is my plan for how I'm going to spend my paycheck. Mm -hmm. It it really changes your perspective. And so I look forward to budgeting because I want to know where my money's going to go. And I get excited about what the, the plans that I have for it. And one of the things that I say, um, I actually have a free worksheet guide um, that I encourage people to use monthly before they budget because it goes um, through, you know, your vision for the next month, what you want your money to do for the next month, all these things, because what people don't understand a lot of times is if you don't do that work before you budget, you're going to be budgeting from a place in the past. Mm. If you do all the work, you can budget for the future. And so a lot of times we get so stuck. Oh, I got to do my budget again. We got to, I have to meet with my partner and we have to talk about our money and we get stuck in the same cycle. Mm -hmm. And so by taking that step back and getting really clear on what you want to do with your money, you can stop budgeting from the past and you can budget for the future. And so I think that is just such an important concept that we don't, we don't really think about very often. No, we don't. And I thank you so much for sharing that. And I'll make sure that um, any of your links for your worksheet and things that you have available are in the show notes, because I think that that's a really powerful place to come from, as opposed to your budget being like this taboo thing that you don't want to talk about, that you want to just ignore and hope that there's more at the end of the month is not the way to be. And even just consciously, I find bringing a conscious decision to choosing something. It's like, do I want to buy that? Like, do I, do I want it or do I need it? And if I want it, why do I want it? What is it going to do? What is it going to create? I mean, we're both in two different coaching programs. We both have run those. We're in the same path and they require investments in ourselves in order mm-hmm. to be in that space. So have you ever, did you, did you have to learn how to come to that space of investing in yourself coaching wise or how, what advice can you give to people who are looking at saying, I'd love to coach, but I, I don't have the money for that. Mm. Oh, what a good question. Um, you know, Brian Tracy has a 
a book and I'm trying to remember which one it is, but he talks about how he encouraged this man to take 3% of his money and invest it in himself. And in a year, the man almost doubled his income. And so the man went, okay, well, if I invest 3%, what happened? What would happen if I invest 6%? And over five years, he started investing more and more money in himself. And at one point, he had to like purposefully find places to put this money he was investing because he was making seven figures and didn't know what to do with all the money. And it was from all these things he was learning. So, you know, for me, if you want to be a better person, the best, the best thing you can do is get that outside help, get that extra perspective, because I think that we tend to think that we are the end all be all when there's this whole world waiting out there for us, a world of connections, a world of accountability, coaching, there, there's so much more available to you than you even know. And so taking that step and making that investment, um, the, the return on investment, it, it ex- extrinsically is huge. Intrinsically is um, irreplaceable. It's something that you can't even measure. Um, I think about my journey over the last year, and I've probably spent a good $10,000 on coaching. And I am not the same person that I was a year ago. And I have tools, I have mindsets, I have people who I can call up for support that I never would have had before. Um, So I think one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself is, is that investment in yourself. And it's really hard, especially if you're in a relationship because that significant other, it's a lot of money. And so planning for it and having outcomes that you talk about and knowing where that money is going to come from and, and how you're going to make it up. Those are all really great discussions to have, but I can't say enough for the, for the coaching programs I have gone through. Now I would also say, be ready to do the work. Don't go into a coaching program, expecting it to fix you know that it's a tool that's going to allow you to do the internal work to get to where you need to go. Um, but I have seen a lot of people in even some of the coaching programs, you know, I've been in um, almost squander that time and see it as just this time to chat up and maybe get a couple clients. So, so not only is it value that you're getting from the coaching, you get what you put into it. And so you can increase the value of whatever program you invest in by being all there, by being um, all in and really just um, diving into all the resources. So I would say if you're not ready to do that, then maybe step back, do some work um, and get one-on-one coaching. Um, I think one-on-one coaching can help with some of those blocks. But again, I can't say enough about investing in yourself. I guess that was a really long-winded answer, but (laughs) great answer. It's a great answer because I know some people will say like, I can't afford that. I can't afford, I'm like, okay, if you can't, there's still a lot of free resources out there. You can still invest in tons of books, audiobooks. You can do listen to podcasts. You can connect, you can listen and learn. So the, there are things you can intentionally do if you want to change your thinking and change your state to be in a space of investing in yourself. And yes, I, it's scary. I totally understand. It's like, it's, it's definitely scary, but that also doesn't mean you invest in everyone. It means you invest in people that are aligned with where you're yeah. going or how they speak, yeah. how they coach, right. 
that they push you, that they nudge you, that they do those things. You bring up an amazing point. And I think this is a great tip for people. Um, interview someone and you do that by using their free resources. So listen to the podcasts, read the books, who stands out to you as a mentor. And then from there, look at spending some money on, on their program. I think that's the best way to vet out, you know, what coaching program works for you. Do you resonate with them? Are they showing up and serving on a consistent basis? So, you know, there's so many free resources available to you that will lead the way to the path that, that you need to be on. A hundred percent, hundred percent agree. What a great answer. Can I ask you what is just to share, because you've come, like you really have, you've climbed some big mountains, some mountains that some people have never had to climb. So I give you so much credit and kudos for climbing them and for sharing how you've done that. I would love it if you would share one challenge that you go through maybe currently, or that you are still like, it's just like, yep, this is something I am always working through. And one thing that you're excited for. Mm. I love those questions. I think that one thing I constantly have to work on is my hustle mentality. Um, you know, I think it was a way I, (laughs) I think it was a way I got attention growing up was going above and beyond. And I saw, I, I yearned for that attention. And so, um, I think coming from a place of flow rather from a place of hustle is something that I will be working on it until my dying day. I think I'll be in a hospital bed and the nurses will be like, okay, put down the, put down the work rest. <laughs> You're no, dying. So I would say that's something I am always working on. And another thing is being present and, you know, uh, last week I actually miscarried. I was almost 10 weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that has just kept me sane is staying present. I think when you're in the middle of something, it's really important to try not to figure out everything and figure yes. out why and figure out how it all works out in the end. Um, but to just give yourself grace, be present, be grateful for what you have, um, and continue to show up. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to cancel today because I think it's so important. I think that people need to hear that no matter where you're at in your life, you have something to share. You can show up. Mm-hmm. There's someone that needs to hear what you have to say, um, whether you feel like you have it all together or you're a hot mess like I am right now. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't um, call you a hot mess. I think you're amazing. <laughs> I think you're amazing. And that's why I reached out to you. And I'm like, look, I totally understand if you want to reschedule, like I can leave this up to you and you're like, no, I want to share at a time like this and be real. And I really honor you for that because I just, I just think it shows the character and how you will continue to impact people because you are allowing people to see all sides of you. Mm, Thank you so much. And I just feel like there's someone that's going to listen to this that needs to hear this. And that is you have something to give no matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter if you're at your rock bottom, if you're in your rebuilding stage, someone needs you to show up right now. Someone mm-hmm. needs you to show up and someone needs to hear what you have to say and see and see you. And so um, I just want to say to that person, I see you, I see you and I honor you for showing up. Um, what am I excited about? I'm, I'm 
excited about um, learning more about how to operate from a place of flow and ease. And I think there's this amazing movement coming out of women who are tired of doing things in a cold corporate way and want to make more room for the feminine. And so I'm really excited to embody that first for myself and then in my businesses and, and see what comes of it. Um, you know, I think that that we, it's almost paradoxical that we think that, oh, you know, if I work hard, it's, I'm going to get more, but I have mentors that I have sought out on purpose because I see them doing it a different way. And so I'm really excited to embody that in my own life and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And now again, now I see another reason why we connected because we both have one of the same mentors and there was something that attracted me to her in a sense of learning that I don't have to burn out. And I've like, my entire life has been like, work hard, work hard, burnout, burnout. And it was just like, can we just stop this cycle? Can we just stop doing this? And last year I recovered through back surgery and I'm so grateful. She was my coach at the time and still is, but she was, had me journaling on like the more I rest, the more I earn. It's all there. Don't like it. It's, oh, I love that. Isn't it? Because every time I would feel myself go into hustle mode, She's like, no, no, rest and ease. It's rest and ease. Write it down. Everything is intentional. Like, so it's not reactive. It's intentional. And when you have that rest, that is where it's going to come from. So I've, I'm craving more of that. I'm definitely craving more of learning how to be in that state as opposed to constant burnout. Yeah. Yeah. And stop using burnout as a badge, uh, like a badge of honor, because I think it makes us, um, it, it shows that we're coming from a place where our worthiness comes from what we do, not who we are. Yes. And so every time that I start doing that, I have to check myself and go, okay, remember where your worthiness comes from, you know, and, and more than input and output, people are attracted to that energy, right? Just like we were attracted to her, the way she did things, that's going to show up for you more than anything else could. So um, yeah, I love that. I I was like, what? She does this and, and, and she's happy and she has energy and like, I need to learn from this. I need to learn from this woman. So that's awesome. We both saw the exact same thing. We really did. We totally did. So I'm going to make sure that all of your contact information is in the show notes. Um, Just where's the best place to connect with you that you hang out the most? I would say hang out the most on Instagram. So it's, um, I think if you search Katie Edwards, I come up, it's the underscore Katie underscore Edwards. Um, And I'm on there a lot. Um, And then if you go to happilymoneyafter.com, that is where you can find my worksheet guide. It's free. Um, I think it's like a 12 page printout. Um, I do have a video on my Instagram that I kind of go through it and show people how to use it, but it's very self-explanatory, something you can print out and use again and again every month. And um, I built it based on what has helped me. So it's just kind of an overflow of what I've learned that can hopefully help someone else. Oh, it absolutely will. I will make sure all that's connected in there, but I love, love, love everything that you're doing. I have two questions for you. The first one is what impact do you want to create in this world? I want to help women be their own hero and, um, 
and give themselves permission to do whatever they want. Um, I think that that has um, been the biggest gift I've been able to give myself is you can change your, you, you can do whatever you want. You can change your uh, mind anytime. Um, women need to give themselves more permission and I want to help them do that. And I want to help them do that around their finances. Um, my husband and I are also very involved in the recovery world. Um, and we are currently creating an outpatient online program for people that get out of rehab. Oh, um, that's beautiful. Wow. So so I think just really using any experience I've had that can possibly help someone else. Mm-hmm. There's so much value. And the more you do that, the more people do that, the more permission we give for others to share their stories, to be real, to like, just like strip all of the, the pictures or whatever it is so that we can actually see each other and see what is really going on. That is how we can share those lessons with others and help other people in situations where we were stuck before. Yeah. Yeah. And the ugliest things that are happening, um, bring about the most beautiful transformations. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Oh, Katie, I've absolutely loved this entire conversation and I just Me so too. you for everything that you're doing and how you are showing up. I, I so honor you. I have one more question for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? Um, oh, that is such a good, I'm like, oh my gosh, so many lessons. I know. Um, the biggest lesson I am grateful for is that I am worthy no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that nothing in life is, um, nothing that happens is a life sentence. You can, you can change anytime. Nothing that happens is a life sentence and you can change at any time. That's gold. Like that is absolutely gold. Thank you so much for being here, Katie. I honestly have enjoyed every single minute and I know people are going to absolutely love this episode. As have I. Thank you for what you are doing, the space that you have created for women for healing. Um, I just cannot wait to connect more. I think I think we're going to just keep seeing each other a lot. So thank you. I have a feeling. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life. Life.